Agent Grinshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. Oh, and, and the other one. The other one. Y Ymir. No, he's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief. What would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief. All I need is more time. Sooner or later they're gonna slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, Emer. Mm, yeah. Remember like a month ago when we were at DEF CON? Yeah, I remember a month ago too when we were like, we'll, we'll do this podcast right right away afterwards. Yeah. And then we had no time mm -hmm. and then life happened. And um, But now we're talking about what we saw at DEF CON. Yes. Yep. This is a was this the second or third year that the two of us went together? Um, this is technically the third year, but the first year I went was like still COVID kind of lockdown ish. Right. So they did the half and half one, and I think it was in Paris at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't really like a fully fledged uh, duck hunt. Yeah, it was a lot easier to get around. That that is very true. <laughs> yeah. So you said you had a couple of talks that you, that you specifically wanted to call, to call out, and I have mm -hmm. my normal notes of like everything I ever went to. Right, right. <laughs> so why don't why don't you start with your first one? Okay, yeah, the, the first one, which is like the major one that I enjoyed, was um, Brandon Bailey presented uh, for the Aerospace Corporation. They developed a framework called Sparta, mm -hmm. and it's akin to the MITRE attack framework that kind of lays out the ability to map threat attack chains um this time for spacecraft instead of just regular operating system like miter yeah. has and stuff like that and it was it was really interesting he, he kind of talked about um showcasing an attack on a spacecraft to cause one of the mechanisms to spin the reaction wheel to spin yeah um and kind of just like start moving the spacecraft around in space um, yeah, which you don't want to have happen and I think a lot of a lot of the stuff aerospace does is classified, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like, well, like you know, we've done research and we found these things. We can't really talk about it because yeah. But the thing but... is, the the framework <laughs> is a is a, is a thing that you could bring out. I actually think this yeah. is a, this is a really good thing because uh, I talked about previously when you did some of the satellite stuff. Our mutual friend mm -hmm. who works on the defense side of satellites, we talked about some stuff, and one thing that struck me when I talked to them about like certain denial of service or ransoming access to a satellite thing uh, hit them completely out of left field as right. possible attack ideas. Mm -hmm. And the fact mm -hmm. that those things are now in the framework mm -hmm. uh, as kind of a standard presentation, I think is a big step forward. Yeah, yeah. And my major takeaway while I was watching it was this seems really cool, but it is it is theoretical and it's kind of just a kind of a mapping exercise thing right now in terms of like, hey, we can map this out potential attacks or we can go in after the fact and map out like how they attacked it and i was like well 
I would really like to get logs uh, to yeah. to pass to other tools. You know, there's a handful of tools that will generate alerts based off the MITRE ATT&CK framework and kind of say like, hey, we saw this log on your system. This kind of maps to a MITRE ATT&CK that we think could be going on on your system. You may want to check it out right now. Yeah. So Well, the, the MITRE stuff mostly came from seeing stuff in the wild, and I don't think that we're going to have that luxury for spacecraft stuff for a while, and I no. think we need the security measures before that. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit previously, and I, one of the things that I absolutely thought about when they were talking about those things is, uh, like, we know that auditing, those audit kind of logs that we need of, like, what commands were executed and and what they did hasn't been great in in all platforms mm -hmm. and um the thing that immediately struck me is there could be a very reasonable preventative control um that doesn't map to like exactly what we think of in network security mm -hmm. of of essentially action limitations you can't tell it to change direction this more than x amount yeah maybe without some kind of override but but maybe even not at all like the the, the system just prevents a a change in direction that is more rapid than x mm -hmm. yeah 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 look that, that's a huge thing we've talked about this too off the pod of like software right now when it comes to command and control and like talking to the spacecraft and doing telemetry and everything doesn't really log anything yeah um when the spacecraft talks back to you It'll generate a bunch of logs, you know, and the data that you're getting back from the spacecraft for telemetry and everything, but there's no real, like, security logs, so to speak, and especially not on the spacecraft itself logging, like, hey, I just received X and X command and, like, you know, did yeah. this and did that, and so that you could look at that and be like, oh, that's kind of strange that I got that command because that wasn't during a pass like right. for any of our ground stations. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and we've talked extensively on it and this isn't going to be another episode on, on, uh, aerospace, uh, satellite security <laughs> entirely. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot, there's potentially a lot of ideas there. And I think to sell them, like going back to the framework, I think to sell them to say, if you want to prevent these things, if you want even the ability to trace back, the, the execution chain of what the attacker did, mm -hmm. you need to have this level of auditing and it's right in line with all of the things that we know about cybersecurity in the data center world, in, right. in, in the data systems world. This is another important part of the argument to get people to change aerospace systems, which as, we, as we've discussed previously, is a non it's non-trivial to get a new system in place a new uh um a new standard component a new standard way of doing things it takes mm -hmm. years of vetting even when you get people to accept the idea that something needs to change yeah 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 exactly and the one point i came out of that because you're much more focused on the aerospace attack world than i am mm -hmm. uh was that right now there's i think it was they said about six or seven thousand uh, total satellites up there right now mm -hmm. and 3,500 of them are us and nobody else is more than like a thousand 1200. Right. But we're at this tipping point where we're almost into five figures. The environment that is a lot of people rolling their own and picking and choosing from various previous projects yeah. is going to start to calcify into a more constrained ecosystem relatively soon mm -hmm. and getting some of the logging changes we're talking about, the, the, the auditability 
into the ecosystem before that calcification happens, I think is a major consideration. I think if the industry waits too long, it's going to be a lot harder to get in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think like there's a golden opportunity here. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting, there was a talk, I think a the talk before that one, they called it unparalleled RDP monitoring to reveal uh, attackers tradecraft. This okay. is the one with the D. I, I don't know if you were in this one. This is the one with the various D and D archetypes. Oh, I think I, I sat down for this very briefly, but yeah, I, I yeah, think I'll take a call. Right, that's yeah. right, that's mm -hmm. right. Um, I'm not going to go through all of their attack pro attacker profiles, uh, but the thing that I thought was really interesting, they created an RDP honeypot that would actually respond as as a um, as an RDP session, mm -hmm. and and they got full view of it, including the ability to fully view and record them real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was right. a little bit of a step forward. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um that was really cool, but the thing was that they were able they were able to get a very detailed understanding of the the techniques, the tools and techniques that were being used by the various kinds of attackers that were doing this stuff. Right, yeah. And the thing that I thought was really interesting the point that they made was that almost all of the RDP interactions are humans doing things. That it's not automated attacking through mm. the RDP mechanism. So they were actually mm. observing humans and not full automation. Right. No, uh, yeah, that is really cool. Both mm. the idea of the RDP honeypot and the fact that this is interesting from a we get to observe the people point of view was, was I think, a, a pretty interesting point coming out of that one. Yeah, yeah, and I like I like the whole, like, D&D sort of um Yes, that was cool. yeah. If you get a chance to watch that one, they have a very cool, like, theme going on. And yeah, yeah, it was really cool with, like, little art uh, yeah. and everything. Yeah, well, a lot of original art with it, too. Mm -hmm. uh, the the other one that I did was also in the Aerospace Village, um, mm -hmm. and I couldn't find the names of the presenters. There were two people from the White House, and I spoke to them after the conversation. I should remember their names, but I'm horrible at that. Yeah. And they were, they were just kind of talking about the whole push from the White House and the Biden administration as a whole and everything, and Trump kind of pushed this as well in his administration, of trying to secure uh, the aerospace realm and spacecraft mm -hmm. specifically. Um, you know, we've talked about this before, that, like, there are a lot of cybersecurity methods and defense methods and stuff like that that are just kind of baseline and commonplace nowadays everywhere other than aerospace. I would push back against that. I think that there's a lot of embedded control systems that are further along, mm. that are closer to the data system side. Mm -hmm. But every time I look into... The difficulties with SCADA and, uh, and industrial oh, yeah, control yeah, systems, true, yeah. they have limitations <laughs> that are similar to the, the stuff we were just talking about with satellites mm -hmm. in terms of like the iteration of technology, mm -hmm. but also the type of operations they need to do really constrain them. Right. Um, and I, I, I don't know that they currently have a good path to dealing with that. And every time I think I have an idea and I talk with somebody that knows better, mm -hmm. It's probably not going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, I think I even remember us talking to someone in DEFCON 30 about yeah. that. And that, that is a true point because I think, I think like the healthcare system, I think they're better. I, yeah, I think they're better. But I think, yeah, like the issue is when you get into these specialized fields or these specialized yeah. things that these, these systems do, that's when you start kind of, you're like, well, we got up to a certain point and now we can't go any further because nothing is built for us or nothing like, you know, we can't apply this to anything. Yeah. I think the argument <laughs> of get security involved first tends to have a lot more value in those systems than IT systems nowadays. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of 
reasonable <laughs> security built into a lot of a lot a lot of framework type development that it doesn't it's not as hard to integrate security later on whereas with these systems it's never been integrated into the 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 operations so starting from the beginning gives you a lot more dividends than than um it does in IT right this second. Yeah, and I, I talked to them too because there was like one thing that definitely is different when it comes to like NASA or science spacecraft when compared to like, you know, DOD and Air Force stuff or Space Force stuff is that we deal with a lot of foreign nationals. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they're foreign nationals from countries that the United States uh, isn't too cozy with. Yeah. But we still deal with them when it comes to science stuff. So it's like if you're trying to implement security controls in a way that covers everything, it, like a one size fits all approach just doesn't work. Well, I push back against that mm. because I think the real problem there is everything I've discussed with defense related folks. Mm -hmm. They're very they're much more content to, to deal with the uh, with um kind of the single user mechanism, mm -hmm. the single authentication credential mechanism that they've been using that is highly secure. Whereas when you start talking about commercial systems and the kind of stuff that you guys do at NASA, mm -hmm. the idea of multiple authentication, role-based authentication, um, multiple privilege levels becomes much more important. And I mm -hmm. think that if you have that robustness, you can satisfy both cases. But the folks that have the money to cur that are currently investing aren't thinking about AAA anything close to the way that we do it in the information systems world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is, like, we've talked about this too. It's yeah. just, like, using a single account to do everything. Like, yeah, very secure. But then when you have, like, 10 people that all use that account, who, who did what? Right. Well, I'd argue it's not that, it's not that secure because now instead of having, you have ground station, you don't have every mm -hmm. individual person. So yeah. your, your auditability problem gets really, really bad, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the pushback that I've heard on that as well. Like, well, we did the background checks and everything on all these people. So we trust them. Yeah. But that's a compensating control. That's yeah. not a, that, that's mm -hmm. not a, that's not a full audit, auditable control that, that is, I have reduced my risk. Yeah, not, exactly. I have eliminated it. Yep. Actually, the one of the next ones that I that I went to was in the Cloud Village, um, which is another subject that is near and dear to my venting spleen. Is cloud <laughs> locking. Um, this was called uh, Misadventures of uh, in Azure in Azure Logging, and um, I had noticed some of these things previously, but it was kind of it brought some some traumatic memories back, but mm. it also kind of right. uh, put it all in one place and 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 showed some stu other stuff that I hadn't noticed yet mm, that I okay. thought was that, that I thought was a really big deal. One of the most important points about Azure logging is uh, they're never less than an hour out of date. Oh, okay. The lag between operation happening and the logging getting to your external system or being observable within their Sentinel system mm -hmm. is always at least an hour, mm -hmm. has observed to be four hours plus, oh, okay. and occasionally just misses periods of time. Oh, nice. That, that's great. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I, in fact, I was reminded of this pr pretty recently because we were doing some some you know, audit verification stuff of whether or not we had visibility to something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh no, we don't have visibility to this. And I went <laughs> and checked back later that that afternoon and, and the log was there by then. You're like, now we have visibility. And I was just like, oh right, there's this massive lag in Azure logging. Oh, that's weird. I never knew about that. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a significant problem. And I got to say, um, I mean, I try not to be 
biased one cloud over the other. I, and I've worked, I've worked in uh, Azure and AWS, but that is not a problem we have with AWS. Mm. Um, I will say the Azure logs are a little bit clearer in some ways, but yeah. Which, that's kind of bizarre because Azure is Microsoft and their logs are notoriously not clear when it comes to Windows. Yeah, well, I'm going to say a significant pro- part of that problem is that they've been using the same Windows logging forever. That is true. There are a lot of like Windows issues are just like, well, we did it before. Let's just build upon it. Yeah. I, I will say that I've dealt with some Office 365 logging stuff, and I've had to... And this is actually something that he brought up about getting an engineer involved is very difficult. Mm. Uh, sometimes it takes a really long time. We have Premier support at that contract that, uh, or that particular customer. Right. And I put in a question about a logging situation that we were seeing pretty frequently, and we didn't know what it meant. And mm. there was no documentation at a Microsoft site, and there were just a few references in various bulletin boards. Like, I couldn't find it. any understanding about what this was and it took a month to get a response from microsoft Mm. about something undocumented right um and it turns out that what it was was a setting with intune that wasn't even valid anymore it's just that it didn't clean up the previous configuration oh really yeah that uh apparently this particular situation was we were seeing log off things and because i've talked about Previously, I'm trying to model uh, log on successes and failures mm. um, to find abnormal activity. Well, what was happening was I was just seeing some of our users having a bunch of login failures that were outside of my model right. pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what you're doing, like everything else works great in my model. This thing throws it off. Yeah. And ignoring it because of some technical details was kind of difficult, so I wanted to understand how easy it was to stop the behavior from happening, what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was the Intune policy that could be applied to mobile devices was also applied to desktops. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, the desktop was saying, I'm try or the, the Intune policy was trying trying to say, I'm trying to apply the policy and it's not working. The browser you're using isn't compliant because it wasn't Intune compliant, even uh, though it was completely valid on the system. Okay. And the thing was, that was because the Intune policy you could set to apply to everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had actually fixed it so that you could only apply it to mobile devices, right. but it didn't remove the previous configuration. So all our folks had to do was unclick it and it wouldn't give them the option back. Interesting. For some reason, that just peaked. I rem- I read a Reddit article on this as I mentioned subreddit. I think yesterday or the day before. Um, so a new policy with Microsoft is for I think it's like um, version four, version five printers. Mm-hmm. Like this guy was basically like, we used to push out a custom driver to all of our printers, so they were mm-hmm. all in the same driver version. Now half our printers are on a different version, and I can't remove this driver. Mm-hmm. And it's like I've yanked it out, and as soon as I reboot they get this new driver pushed back and Microsoft kind of confirmed. They were like, yeah, for all these like current like iterations, like we push out the driver instead, <laughs> but it's very, very interesting. The last thing on that was that was, was that they have also, they also have a bit of a problem with consistency between fields of like, uh, IP addresses, V64 port formatting, user mm-hmm. IDs, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that was the Azure active Directory. Like I said, my trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and one that I know we both went to was the uh, OSDP. 
Yes. Um, uh, talk, and that was Dan Petro, who goes by all F4, and David Vargas, I didn't see any handle for him, yeah. um, entitled Badge of Shame, Breaking into Secure uh, Facilities of OSDP. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was fun. I especially liked that their uh, their tool was called uh, Milan um, for Lord of the Rings. You know, speak friend and enter, and they were using that to tap into the card reader feeds. Especially funny, like there were a lot of like WTF moments in that talk. Yeah. Yes, one, there were. Yeah, one that like uh, OSDP does say it uses encryption, but that's not turned on by default in a lot of cases. And in some cases, it's like, um, no, we actually don't use it. Like, yeah, yeah, there, there were like encryption. You can enable it, but it doesn't actually work. And then they yes. had situations where the the key that was actually passed was like no bits. It was like, yes, it was like two or four bits or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think you you had left just before this, but they showed that the um, because there was an initial key exchange between yeah. the like the central server and all the readers, and they were like, this is encrypted you know air quotes and it was like you know a lot of people are probably questioning how does the key get to the remote end yeah and that's because they just use a default encryption key that's just yeah. known to anyone um so you could intercept that uh exchange i'm just checking my notes the uh the the bits thing was that the nonce value that there that there's only three bits because it's a two-bit number and they don't use zero oh that's <laughs> right yeah yes yes i remember that so they're very vulnerable to replay because of that yeah or packet spray attacks. Yes, yeah, yeah that, was, that was that was very interesting. But yeah, that, that, that was a good talk. Like another one that definitely need to sit down and like rewatch and uh, go over because yeah. physical security is pretty fun. Yeah, and well, I mean, going back to what you were saying about about like the data system level stuff, this is this is more even though it's a security system, it's just as bad in terms of the way that data exchange works and logging works mm-hmm. um, as these aerospace and industrial control systems that we're talking about. Yeah, 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 very true. Uh, so there were a couple of talks ab- about certificates. There were, so there were two themes that I that, that came out, in a, at least a lot of the talks that I went to. Mm. One was artificial intelligence. The other was certificate stuff. There was a certificate man in the middle attack talk about, using, about, about uh, a better certificate man in the middle tool that basically was creating a various man in the middle issues because of certain validation problems. Was that the one where you like showed like Fortnite and stuff? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, so we've created a better tool to more robustly attack this set of like the crypto isn't the problem. Even key management isn't the problem. Mm-hmm. It's key validation. That's the yes. Problem. Yeah. Cause some things would just validate you based off of like right. post name or like, right. yeah. 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 And then there was some uh, finding bad certs at, sa- at scale, uh, which was looking for like bad entropy numbers for 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 RSA keys and uh, various pre-used certificate stuff, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I, the thing that I found most interesting was not just the common keys, but using some common factoring things where they actually got into the P and Q values that are used to create the search, the, 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 the prime pseudo primes that are mm-hmm. used to create the RSA key values, mm-hmm. that there are ways of attacking that. And mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of details on the map, but the fact that they were doing that and kind of weaponized, it was very interesting. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then a lot of people talked about AI, about like how, what it was good at and what it wasn't. I, uh, I might've mentioned this in, in part one, but the, one of the things that struck me about, something that Jeff Moss said in one of the keynotes at Black Hat was that AI essentially makes predictions. 
Mm-hmm. So every time you're applying AI, you have to make it into a prediction problem. Right, right. That 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 AI isn't good at anything other than predictions. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come up with a new idea for you, but it can predict when with given factors what the next step would be. Right, yeah. yeah. So you have to reframe what you're asking as a prediction problem. There was a really good talk about AI. I'm, I'm vamping to find my uh, to find my notes about that particular talk. <laughs> um, I didn't put his name into my into my uh, notes, but he was the chief of the Digital and Artificial Intelligence Office for the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. Um, www.ai.mil is the thing for or is the URL for their their office. And he made a lot of very good points about when and why to be skeptical of what AI can do. Because he's like, he's definitely an AI guy, but he's like, here's where we can use it and here's where we can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of of the things he said was AI is statistics at scale. (laughs) Hmm. And there's something to that because in a lot of machine learning stuff, it's about like finding what the important factors are. Right. Um, But... Probably my most important takeaway from this is large language models have changed the game in mm. terms of usefulness to us and and the kinds of kinds of interactions we have with AI. Uh, the, his really important point is fluency, use of language mm. fools us into thinking that what is being said is is useful and valid. Mm. Large language models because natural language processing is a highly studied field at this point, basically use English pretty correctly. Mm-hmm. And based in a lot of what it's trained on, it is not using slang very well. It's using kind of more correct English mm-hmm. pretty well. Okay. So you have this fluency problem where everybody has this framework of if you can speak intelligently, what you're saying must be intelligent. Yes, yeah. But large language models make it so that they're pretty much always speaking relatively intelligently, mm-hmm. even though they have no consciousness of the content. It's like it's like if you <laughs> if you sound British, you're either very intelligent or supervillain. So, uh, so fluency with the language fools humans very easily because our priors suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to make a more conscious effort to look at the content. Right. Especially when we don't know the difference when what, what we're getting or how much of what we're getting is AI generated and how much isn't. Yeah, no, that makes sense. He very much thinks that we need to fall off of the, the Dunning-Kruger Mount Stupid mm-hmm. uh, of because every technology goes through this hype. And we, I think we've talked about this before, this hype cycle yes. where expectations go through the roof, especially by folks who don't really understand the complexities and limitations. Yeah, yeah, like the news media will just bolster it all up yeah well there's also people who who are just built to do this this way because Mm -hmm. their misunderstandings are how they get investment (laughs) that is true yeah so there were a lot of really good points it's probably worth going back to listen to all the things because he he ran it in a very collegial uh socratic way Mm. um but those were like the my some of my really big takeaways about the limitations and the things to be worried about, about like how we interact with AI, because the fact is we're not going to get away from being consumers of AI output mm-hmm. wittingly or unwittingly, even if it's not part of what we utilize in our, in the business that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. 
Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.